Hello, and welcome to episode 105 of the Casual Tryhard Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm James. And this week, uh, James has the best podcast name maybe ever, The Secret of Mana. The Secret of Mana. 100% we're using that. We're we're committed. (laughs) And we're going to talk about kind of how the rules regarding mana have changed. Like the rules of engagement, if you will. Not like the actual magic rules, but just what we're allowed to do now. Yeah, we've kind of alluded to this a couple different times in the past, and I'm sure you guys are probably about sick of hearing about it, but with some of the spoilers that have been coming out for Kaldheim, I don't think we're getting away from this sort of design philosophy. So I think it's about time we finally just like put that bear in a chokehold and wrangle it down and try and figure out what makes it tick and how to fight it and all of those sorts of things. Come up with some terminology maybe. Yep, or at least try. At least so, try to. If you'd like to get at us on Twitter, you can tweet at us at Casual Tripod. Yep, you can also hit us up on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG. If you guys want to drop us an email, you can do that at show at Casual MTG.com. If you're looking to pre order any Keldheim cards, uh, by the time you guys hear this, most or all of the set should be spoiled. TCG. Like all the sellers post up pre-sales so you can pre- pre-order stuff there. If you choose to do so, uh, please use our TCG player affiliate link, tcg.casualtryhardmtg.com. Anything you use or anything you purchase after following that link will get a small cut of to help keep the show rolling. If you guys want to support us a little bit more directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash casualtryhardmtg. Uh, patrons get early access to show notes. They also get, um, we record our, kind of pre-show ramblings, mic check, whatever. This week you guys got a nice bonus. I think our pre-show was about as long as the episode is. So you guys will get to hear that. Um, also, I have I've been working on some very, very small patron gifts. Don't expect a lot. You're, I'm not going to knock your socks off or anything, but we wanted to do something to give back to you guys. I got them all ready to roll out yesterday, so hopefully they'll be going out. Uh, maybe tomorrow or Wednesday. If I didn't get your address, you're not getting one. I gave you guys plenty of time to get me your addresses. I think there's three people that didn't get me addresses. So I guess that's all there is about that. We also have a YouTube channel, Casual Tryhard MTG on YouTube. Our set episode next week should have a, or set review episode should have a video version of that. Somehow we're going to record. We haven't quite planned that far yet, Uh, but that'll go up on either our two our youtube channel or myrtle beach games youtube channel we also have big plans every time a new set comes out to record some limited content for that set let's see if that happens this time or not uh, but that's where that will go if we decide to do so is our youtube channel uh, don't forget that we have our discord server there should be a link in the description there's a link on twitter there's a link on facebook if you guys can't get in those links don't work whatever uh, shoot us a message and we'll get you a personalized link to get you in there. Let us know what you guys want to hear about. Um, some pretty good conversations happen in there about deck text and strategy and, you know, just general questions you guys have. And I think that's about it for our social media stuff. Yeah. So this week's podcast is your, your brainchild. Yeah, kind of. It's so, only half a brainchild. It's not completely thought out. Oh no. <laughs> so you pointed out that we have over the last, you know, you know two years, yeah. kind of gone over 
you know, anatomies of a turn and like basic rules and strategy and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And how to manage your resources in a game of magic. And, you know, you feel like that those rules are changing. Yeah, kind of, sort of. We did like a little mini series about some general magic theory, or at least how the theory used to be. And basically what it boils down to is that magic is a game of resource management. Like you can, you have a certain number of resources when you start the game. Uh, You have, you know, your land drops, you can play one land a turn. So that's a resource that you can use. Um, The cards in your hand are a resource. The cards you draw off your deck are a resource. The cards that are left in your deck are a resource. Each attack step you take is a resource. The number of turns that you play is a resource. And like through your game actions, you're either gaining more of these things or making your opponents take less of them or like it's all about managing all these resources. And we've noticed over the last couple of years that like wizards is kind of changing the way that these resources work. And the one in particular is mana. Like wizards is playing around in a really like it used to be a really scary design space because for a long time we weren't allowed to, um, like have access to good ramp. Like wizards came out and said that uh, Lanawar elf or elvish mystic was too good. One mana mana dorks were too good for magic and standard, so we weren't allowed to get them. Uh, explore, you know, one in a green, let draw a card. You can play an extra land that was too good for standard. We weren't allowed to have that card. And over the last couple of years, we have gotten those cards. We got Gilded Goose, which is a one mana mana dork. We got Gross Spiral, which in some ways is just kind of a better explore. And then we also got all these cards that kind of like double your mana up. So we got Wilderness Reclamation, Fires, Castle Garenbrig to an extent, kind of, you know, ramps you ahead for very little cost. Uh, Nisu, who shakes the world, doubles your mana. Uro. Yeah, I was going to say to a lesser extent, like Forsaken Monument. Yeah, yeah, that too. So, like, there have been people that have said recently that wizard that magic has gone from a resource management game mm-hmm. to a resource deployment game meaning that for years right you were constrained by usually mana and cards mm-hmm. but as of late through the cards that have been printed we've kind of broken those constraints right mm-hmm. a card like growth spiral or uro right they both give you a card and extra mana you're not really constrained on cards because you keep drawing cards you're right. not constrained on mana because you keep getting to play extra lands and yeah. cards like wilderness reclamation and nissa and fires of invention they make it so you're not constrained on mana mm. right Instead, you're just getting to kind of use as much mana as you want or way more mana than you uh, should be able to use. Right. Right. Like, if you think about Wilderness Reclamation, you had infinite mana, and, like, the point of the deck was to try to get enough cards to use all that mana. Yeah. Right? So it was like, oh, I'll explosion your creature for six and draw six cards. 
Yeah, right. and then hopefully find something to kill you with. Yeah, and now I, I took all my mana that I had, I converted it into cards, and now yeah. I have the card resources that I can, you know, win the game. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, the the old ideas of, like, what constrains the game have, have gone away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there was also kind of a weird point that I wanted to make, too, about how... Like right now in standard, we have Azusa and Dryad of the Elysian Grove, which are both like static ways that let you play extra lands per turn. For the longest time, we didn't have any of those cards that let you play extra lands per turn. And yep. now like these ones, like Azusa doesn't even see play. Like Dryad does, but it's more for like the mana fixing part than the extra lands part. Yeah. In like Azusa and Standard would have been unheard of a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'm trying to think if we've had like I can't think of anything like that in Standard previously. We and, had Wayward Swordtooth let you yes. play an extra hand, but it was stone unplayable. Right, right. People tried to play it in Modern and decided that wasn't good enough. But like Dryad is because again of the fixing. Right, and like it's a body that can block early in the game. Yep. We're no longer really constrained by, you know, how many lands we can play in a turn mm-hmm. or how many uh, or how much mana we just have in general. Yeah. You just kind of like, I can do whatever I want. Yep. So that has led to like a few things. Like if all of your cards say draw a card on them, like decks that play like a resource denial kind of strategy. Yeah. Don't really work. Right. Right, like, you know, the a like you know, a Jun style like thought seize and removal kind of deck. Yeah. Something with Croxa. Something with Croxa, exactly. Just they don't end up working. Right. And like that, the, that's kind of a unique way to put it. I hadn't thought of it like that. When all your cards just say draw a card on them, basically you're playing an omniscience draft. Yeah. If everything you have is a two for one, if your opponent's yeah. one for one in you, they're losing. Right. Right. And that's kind of where like blue and green cards are right now. Right. Is all of them that get played, say, like draw a card. Right. And so you're constantly like behind because you're Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to thought seize you. And it's like, cool. You took my card. I'm just going to play a card that draws the card. Go. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to kill your creature. Cool. I'm going to play another creature that drew a draws the card. You're behind. Go. Yeah. And eventually, like, you run out of resources because your thought ceases and removal spells don't say draw a card on them. Yep. And all your opponent's stuff does. Right, so, right, like, we, the, like, I think the age of, like, trading one for one, I mentioned this later on, but, like, is kind of gone. Don't say that. (laughs) I mean, it's my favorite kind of magic, man. But even the even the deck that tries to trade one for one, like right now that you know, which yeah. in historic is Saltai. Right. Right? Like it doesn't trade one for one. It's an Uro deck. That like, plays Wraths. That plays Wraths, yeah. It plays You're uh, trying to wrath them out of the game and then draw a bunch of cards with Uro. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not like you're playing just like Thought Seize and Eliminate and Murderous Rider. Right. Right. You're like, well, no, I have this like backdoor like way to go from three mana to four 
mm-hmm. with my Uro, untap on turn four with five mana, play my Nissa, and if I untap, you just lose because well, I have not ten just mana. Play a Nissa, though. It's play a Nissa, untap a swamp, thought seize you, and then crisis you the next turn. Yeah, right. Like you, like you're always just like behind. They always have more mana than you and more cards. Yeah. So, right, like we we used to be constrained right like you could trade right if they played a two drop you could play two mana and kill it or they played mm-hmm. a two drop and you could pay one mana and kill it and you were ahead on mana right right like so you're like oh hey i got to like fatal push your creature and then thought sees you i got to cast two spells on my second turn i ate all your mana for one mana this is great mm-hmm. and now right like that two drop might have drawn a card yeah. Or, you know, you do that, but then they play something that cat that gives them such a big advantage. It doesn't matter what you had done beforehand. Yeah, it's irrelevant. Yes. So we've seen this kind of like design style of, like I said, just stapling draw a card on everything. Yeah. Or just like kind of infinite value. Mm-hmm. And then that combined with, hey, you should have four mana, but we're going to give you eight. And I think with a lot of the last few sets, right, everyone's been kind of like holding their breath like, oh, no, I hope there's not another mana doubler. Yeah, well, we're not just getting one more mana doubler. We're getting a few. Yeah. So um, what have you seen in Kaldheim that's making you go like, oh, no? Well, Jorn is number one. Personally, I'm excited to play with Jorn. Um, that's probably the first deck that I'm going to brew up is a Jorn snow deck. But... He, if you build your mana base in a certain way, will absolutely double your mana every turn. Um, so he's kind of public enemy number one. We also have In Search of Greatness that I think was spoiled in between our last episode and what we're recording now. So In Search of Greatness is a, a two-drop enchantment. And it's at the beginning of your upkeep. Getting of your upkeep. You get to play a card for uh, or put a permanent card from your hand into play for free whose CMC is equal to one plus whatever your highest CMC is in play. So if you have a four drop out, you get to play a five drop for free. It's very similar to what fires of invention does where it just gives you access to twice, like however many lands you have in play. Yeah. Deck building constraints a little bit different. This one might be just a, tad harder to build around than fires was because with fires you just wanted like it came down on turn four and you just wanted all the five drops yeah like this this one you kind of want to curve with you want to curve and it doesn't count itself so if you don't play a one drop you kind of take turn two off and then you can play a one drop on turn three yeah with then you know the three lands to play your three drop right and, like, the fail case for it is they still get to scry one each turn, which is trying to, like, dig you to, you know, the, the, the next thing on your curve. You know, there is, you know, an idea that, oh, well, like, you've got to go, like, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and work your way up. But, like, what's probably going to end up happening is you're going to, like, play this on two, maybe play a one drop, like, you know, or maybe you play like Gilded Goose on one. Then you play this on two. Mm-hmm. Then turn three, you play a two drop and like a four drop. Yeah. And then on turn 
four, right? You know, you play like a five drop and another four or two five mm-hmm. drops and yeah. then the game ends. Right. Right. Because it's really hard. We saw from like Fires of Invention for decks to keep up with. I'm going to play two five drops. Right. The difference between this and Fires, though, is Fires let you keep all your mana for activated abilities where this doesn't. Like, yeah. if you're playing two five drops on turn four or whatever, you're not going to have any mana left over to haste them up and get in there. Yeah, fair. Like, Fires effectively on turn five gave you 15 mana. It tripled your yeah. mana. It gave you yeah. two free spells plus all your lands in play. This right. is giving you a free spell. Yeah. But, like... Even... It also only costs two mana. Yeah. But just, you know, how many free spells can you play... Mm-hmm before your opponent can't keep up anymore. Right. Right. And again, like if your free spells draw a card, I'm trying to think of like a creature that could come in and just like draw a card. But like if your if your spells like draw a card, right? Mm-hmm. Now you're like keeping your hand full and now your opponent like can't really kill your biggest creature. Right. Because now it kind of resets your in search of greatness, yeah, great. You're like, you play this, then you play your your one drop and your three, then you play like a four and a four. Well, like if they kill your two four drops, maybe you just have another four drop. Or right. if you get to play a five, well, like can't kill your five because what if you have another five? You know, I mean, it puts them in an odd spot. Yeah, I mean, two four drops could do a lot towards closing that game out too, though. Yeah, I mean, if like, it's like, you know, if on turn four you hit like Questing Beast and I don't know, isn't there like a four drop dragon right now? I think. There, uh, there's some four drop red hasty thing, I think. Yeah. So, you know, you hit a Questing Beast and, you know, some other beater, you just ended the game. Like, even if they answer it, they're too far behind. You just took half their life away. I mean, or, you know, you're playing Gruel, right? Mm hmm. Now, maybe this isn't the, the best gruel card, but if your turn four is, you know, a free questing beast plus then Embercleave mana. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Right. You're like, I play Goose, I play this, and then play my um, Kazandu Mammoth. Yeah. And another one drop. Right. And then next <laughs> turn, I'm just like, eh, free questing beast attack you yeah have Embercleave mana yeah and you just take a million yeah right are there any other yeah, cards yeah, yeah. there are two more okay. we almost skipped right over number one is kind of an innocuous uncommon it's a svela ice shaper and i think it's a six drop right yes i guess i can look it up real quick um it's a gruel gold oh no it's card. a three drop it's a three drop. It's a three drop. Wow. All right. It's a. Th- it is a three drop. It's a three drop two four. You can pay three mana and tap it to make a colorless snow artifact token named Icy Manolith that taps to add one mana of any color. It doesn't create a tap, so you immediately get one mana back. And then you can pay six red green and tap it to look at the top four cards of your library and cast a spell among them without paying its mana cost. 
so it's a ramp card because you make these little mana rock tokens and it's a payoff that just lets you marvel almost marvel it is marvel six cards it's four cards oh is it four okay yeah so slightly worse but yeah but it's a card that ramps you and is a payoff for having a bazillion mana yeah you know who this plays really well with jorn Uh, it does play really well with jorn if you attack with jorn yeah trigger goes on the stack you can float all your mana in response yeah untap it tap it again and get your activation for your ice shaper yep so like it's four mana it's effectively four mana like depending on how things worked out like i think the earliest you could spin the wheel would be like turn five yeah that's an awful greedy mana base too if you're not worried about the backside i think you should be worried about the backside of jorn yeah but if you're just like I want to spin the wheel as much as I can with Ice Shaper. The backside pulls this thing out of the graveyard, too. It does. <laughs> also, yeah. another Jorn thing that I had missed, and they brought it up on Arena Decklist. You know what card works really well with Jorn? What card's that? The green inscription, because it's randomly an instant. Uh, you're going to have to walk me through that one. It green puts, inscription puts two counters on something fight makes it something fight, and, and then life. you gain life so right you've got your three three yeah. and it, like i think it's oh yeah so yeah. you like float attack right yeah. you're like declare attackers tap jorn yeah. float in response to the trigger you get to inscription make jorn a five five kill their yeah. creature right and so Game now you Gain five life, but you have this like pseudo. Now you have a pseudo vigilance five five that untaps all your lands. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. I was like, oh, that is quite strong. I'm pretty sure I bought foils of those. There you go. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, like this is something that we're going to touch on in a second, but it used to be, and we've talked about this before, that you have ramp cards and you have payoff cards. Yeah. And that meant that there was, you know, you know, tension in your mm-hmm. draws and tensions yep. in your deck building. Like I can't put all ramp in my deck with no payoffs right. or I can't put no, payoffs and no ramp. Yeah. Right. I've got to have that happy medium. And then yep. still you could draw the wrong half of your deck Yep. Right. you could draw all the payoffs, but none of the ramp during a game and just lose a game. Cause like you drew four, eight drops. Mm hmm. Right. But, you know, if all of your ramp cards are either the payoffs themselves. Right. Right. Like Uro or, you know, this guy or or Nissa. or Nissa. Right. Or if your ramp cards are drawing you cards. Mm-hmm. Right. You're getting through more of your deck. Right. Like I remember yeah. thinking like, oh, cultivate is kind of like drawing. It's thinning my deck out so i'm less likely to draw lands mm-hmm. so i'll be i'll be more likely to draw you know action right and now like you know uh you know a uh gosh growth spiral it just gives you a card back yeah that could be anything it's like you're not just stuck like drawing an extra land you're like oh no i could like i might draw action mm-hmm. so yeah like now we don't have that. You don't have that tension anymore. 
Like you're losing less games to like the variance of your draw. Yep. And then we, we do have one more card. That's not, not necessarily a mana doubler in the same sense that the rest of these are, but we have a new birthing pod and pyre of heroes. It's a two mana artifact and has an activation of two and tap it and sacrifice a creature. And you get to tutor up a creature from your library that shares a creature type with a sacrifice creature and has CMC equal to one plus that creature's CMC. This isn't a mana doubler like the rest of the cards that we've talked about, but if all of the value of your creature is tied up in that creature's ETB ability and not so much the power toughness board presence, then this could be looked at at a mana doubler also. Did that make sense to you? Yeah, like just thinking that so you played a two drop that drew you a card. The mm-hmm. body's not valuable. Right. But now you get to spend two mana to go get a three and get rid of that card to go get a three mana thing. So yeah. you're not down a card because your two mana card replaced itself. Right. And then now your three mana card has some effect tied to it, plus mm-hmm. a body that might be more relevant. Right. Right, so you're like, okay, I'll get rid of my two-drop wizard to go get an exclusion mage and then bounce your thing. Mm-hmm. And now I have a 2-2, two, two, which has more value than like the 1-1 one, one wizard that I had from turn 2. Right. And you know, I only paid 2 mana for this. Yeah, it, I mean, I, w- I was thinking something like um, Frilled Mystic. Like if you Frilled Mystic killed or sp- you know, counter a spell. I mean, the 3-2 body can be relevant it's kind of a slow clock kind of fragile but you've already gotten your value out of the b effect and then if you turn this into like i mean i have no idea what frilled mystic turns into but if you turn it into a five drop then like you're kind of you just tacked on whatever five drop you get you tacked on draw a card yeah so it's another way to um kind of stretch your mana a little bit, I think. You're paying two mana for a you know five mana card in this case. Mm-hmm. And you already got all your value out of the card before. Right? right. Like you were playing Frilled Mystic not because it was a three two, you were playing mm-hmm. it because it said counter target spell on it. Right. And you got the counter target spell. Now you can turn it into I don't know, whatever five mana merfolk or wizard you want it to be yeah whatever it is whatever that that next thing up the chain is or a yeah. changeling i guess you could turn it turn anything into a changeling yeah you could turn it into the uh the oh gosh what is it the new clone oh yeah 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 yep. that's five okay. mana yep. in color too look at us go oh yeah yeah but you're getting to like kind of cheat on your mana on the way Mm-hmm. You know, I think that as you've kind of pointed out, like this changes how we have to think about mana and how we have to think about the game. Yeah. Right? Like when we first started seeing this strategy, I was kind of hoping it wasn't going to stick around because it leads to some not super fun gameplay. And like when we first saw this starting to happen was like the beginning of last standard where we had, um, the Oko problem where you had like Oko and um, once upon a time, like that deck, even though it wasn't cheating on mana, it was still kind of doing 
the same resource game where like when Oko came into play, it didn't matter that it wasn't gaining you a bunch of mana. It was just unbeatable on its own. Like if it came down and stuck and got a couple activations, you weren't going to win the game. And this ramp strategy that we're talking about does a very similar thing where once one of the, you know, mana doublers comes out, they almost immediately pay you back. And even if you answer it, you're already too far behind to like claw your way back into the game. Yeah. You know, you run into these games where I've talked about this before, where once you're behind, you stay behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. You never get to like maneuver the game in such a way where you're able to trade resources at a slight profit. Yeah. And after two or three turns of being behind, you stabilized at like three. Mm-hmm. And then you started to turn the corner and come back. Uh, yeah. The new way cards are designed is, you know, when someone gets ahead, they can just slam the door so fast. Right. That like you lose that ability to come back. And I think we've talked about like losing the story. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't have that like, oh, I was they resolved this card and I was able to do this, and this and this. And I came back a lot of times you're like, oh, they went like. Uro into we forgot a card Omnath they went Uro into Omnath play Fabled yeah. Passage and the game ended yeah I had him in my notes we just kind of glossed over him oh I'm sorry uh, that's right but ha- games ended on Uro into Omnath uh, Fabled Passage and the yeah. game was done Yep. like oh this thing doubled their mana on turn four and yep. drew them a card yep. like I can't come back and so, right, I think for the longest time, like, you know, magic has been defined as, you know, the basic archetypes are aggro, mid-range, control, mm-hmm. ramp, and combo, right? Like, I think yeah. those are like kind of like your five base archetypes. I guess tempo in there as well, so six. Yeah. Right? And again, like, you know, you can... I'm not a tempo deck, I'm an aggro control deck with prison elements sure. it's like yeah, calm down delver player um <laughs> and i guess pr- prison in there as well where you just stop your opponent from doing anything yeah right. i mean you can you can argue that prison's a control deck though yeah or a combo deck like i put these three things together and i just win true oh, yeah. right so like you know there's broadly speaking mm-hmm. you know there's been seven to eight like kind of core archetypes Mm-hmm. of of decks and not every deck fits cleanly in like a given box but you right. know you had again aggro there's mid-range. some bleeding it's a venn diagram yeah aggro mid-range control ramp combo prison and tempo are yep. kind of your seven kind of stock archetypes and with the cards that have been designed in 2018 2019 2020 now going into 2021, there might be just like a new archetype. Yeah, I guess this is the nuts and bolts of what I wanted to get to this week is to try and like quantify this because I really haven't heard anybody else like do the hard work. You know what I mean? Like people, you know, I obviously have talked about these cards to great length by now. And even us on the show have kind of talked about how this isn't really normal magic, but I don't really think anybody's like qualified. This as a new archetype or 
come up with any terminology for it. And I'm not saying we're going to, you know, get through all of this and, you know, nail everything down today and come up with a whole bunch of new terminology to, you know, talk about this kind of stuff and like how to quantify the advantage that these decks get or whatever. So you can, you know, put some numbers to it and see it. But I thought maybe if we just laid it out there and started talking about this as a new archetype, maybe some of that work would, you know, kind of fall into place along the way and hopefully help somebody out. Yeah. So I think the first thing that we have in the notes about this that's kind of important is even though these decks feel like ramp decks and sometimes they get thrown in as like, this is a ramp deck. Yeah. I don't think they're ramp decks. Yeah. I don't, I don't really think they are either. Right. Because ramp decks oftentimes, right. Again, you could draw the wrong half of your deck Mm -hmm. and the ramp cards didn't replace themselves. Right. right, there was like inherent risk of oh man, I'm going to draw five ramp cards this game. Yep, and I'm never going to see a payoff, and I'm going to have twenty mana, but nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Right, and even like innocuous things like migrations path cycling. Yeah, right. When you no longer need a ramp spell, it could be anything. It could be a boat. Right, <laughs> could be a boat where. You know, we had explosive vegetation, which is migration's path minus cycling. Yeah. Right. And if you drew that on turn four, you're like, I'm a genius. I'm going to have a ton of mana. Right. Right. If you drew it on turn seven, you're like, oh, no, I already have a ton of mana. I need a payoff. Right. Right. So I think these decks fundamentally, they feel like ramp decks because a lot of times you're playing a big thing. Right. But fundamentally. for 11. Yeah. But fundamentally, they're not ramp decks because they don't have the same ramp like, you know, issue of there's a half of my deck. Yeah. Like another thing that I kind of wanted to point out was like in a ramp deck, you're spending your first four maybe turns ramping. Like you're not really doing anything but ramping. You're playing accelerant, accelerant, accelerant accelerant thing you know what i mean yeah these decks don't really do that they play kind of a normal game of magic where you're basically a mid-range deck and you're interacting you're you know casting thought sees you're killing creatures whatever until you get the thing that doubles your mana and then you double your mana cast a big threat and your opponent's behind the whole rest of the game yeah so I don't think you can really think of it like a traditional ramp deck because the best versions of this deck are just mid-range decks that kind of all of a sudden turn a corner and win all at once. Or they're, or they're control decks, right? I think like if you, yeah. you can think of like Team or Wreck yeah, that's a, true. was a control deck that yeah. got to a point where it just had all the mana and all the resources. Well, like, I mean, the early versions were. But yeah. the, like the adventure wilderness wreck adventures deck that wasn't that was more of a mid-range deck i think fair i also thought of other mana doublers we kind of missed that are like are not really even mana doublers but like genesis ultimatum yeah where you pay seven mana and you could put 30 mana worth of stuff into play right or lucky clover lucky clover or like the saltai ultimatum yeah where you're like, oh, I'm going to pay seven mana, and if I built my deck right, I'm going to put 14 mana worth of stuff into play. 
Right. But Lucky Clover is also like a sneaky one, just like giving you two spells a turn. Mm -hmm. Like taking your one spell and making it two. Right. That happens enough times, like you do nothing on turn two, and then you're like, bounce your two things with my Brazen Borrower. Yeah. And then they're just super far behind. But yeah, like you get something set up that starts paying you off Mm -hmm. and just giving you more and more and more resources, but you're getting to interact along the way. Yeah. Right. Is I think is an important distinction. Yeah. And like a lot of, not all of them, but some of these things like either protect themselves or pay you back immediately. Like if you cast a fires, whatever your next spell is pays for the fires. So you know, you may be down, you're not really going to be down a card because they're going to have to use a card to kill the fires, but it's already bought you all of your mana back. Yeah. Like, Same thing with Nyssa. Like Nyssa comes down and makes a vigilant 3-3 that can protect Nyssa. And then also, you know, if that land was a breeding pool or an overgrown tomb, it lets you hold up interaction. Like you get to swing in for three and then hold up interaction. So it pays you back almost immediately. Same thing with Uro. Like, you know, not even when you're just casting it, but when you escape it, it pays you back. Yeah. Like, I think Fires is the most egregious because, like, they don't even have a space to interact. You're just like, resolve my Fires, play my 4-drop. Right. Okay, cool. Now I'll disenchant your Fires. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, so basically... You, you weren't down at all. Like, I think we all had games against, like, Wilderness Wreck where they played the Reclamation on four. Yeah. And you were able to bounce it or counter right. it or disenchant it before they got to their end step. Yeah. Right? And they were, like, they were behind then because they right. took turn four off and they, you know, didn't get to use their mana. Like, you, you know, time walked them in a way where mm-hmm. fires didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, you know, we're setting up like an engine. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think a lot of times, like, we think about, we've thought about engine decks in the past as there were a lot of moving pieces. Yeah. You like, think to... about the old, like, Abzan decks, like the old Abzan, eh, not really the aggro deck, but the Abzan, like, control decks from, like, Con Standard. I mm-hmm. don't know how many guys remember that or not but like that was an engine deck that had a whole bunch of moving pieces like you had to have your removal spells and then your you know elspeth was at the top end to like close a game out but then in the middle you had the uh death mist den protector engine to kind of get you there to get you the card advantage buy your removal spell back throw a blocker in the way like that was kind of your value engine but it was you know two plus cards and then you had to sink a whole bunch of money and or not money, a uh, whole bunch of mana into it to keep it rolling. I mean, Death Mist uh, Raptors weren't cheap. That's true. At the time, they weren't cheap. <laughs> but it, it was an engine that needed to be fed, first of all, and had a lot more pieces than just drawing an Uro. Yeah, like, you know, in that example, you had to play the Death Mist Raptor. It had yeah. to go to the graveyard. Then right. you had to play the Den Protector. Then you had to, like, unmorph the Den Protector Right, and then like you got stuff going, but it wasn't just like play Death Mist Raptor, get a bunch of stuff. Right. Right. Play Death Mist Raptor, get value. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, I've got to work for my value. This is effectively a removal spell. 
because it's got death touch that I can buy back or something that'll eat a removal spell that I can buy back later. Yep. Okay, so let's let's go. As opposed to a lot of the engine cards now, you know, they're on some level they're build arounds, mm-hmm. but the build around constraint is not real. Right. Right. So you mentioned like Lucky Clover, right, is a is a sneaky mana doubler, right? It doesn't just make it so you have six mana when you have three, but right. it's saying, hey, play this two mana spell and I'll give you a copy of it. So I'm effectively giving you two mana for free. Mm-hmm. Right. And, oh, you played two, two mana spells. Now you got four mana for free. Right. Yeah. And the deck building constraint was play the best cards in the format, <laughs> yeah. which is not a great deck building constraint. No, not so much. Right. Like I, I just want to play all these cards anyway. We know. Cool. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. Right. So, and a lot of times these engine cards that we see uh, have been like an an odd to interact with permanent type. Right. So we've mentioned fires and wilderness reclamation. Those are enchantments. Yeah. Right. Like some colors straight up can't deal with. And like there aren't really playable decks in the colors that play that get to, um, like interact with them easily like white yeah, white's like, not a super widespread color like not super powerful for constructed and hasn't been for a while yeah like um, in the white deck that you might pop to mind is like oh there was a white deck that was played was like basically mono one drops and an yeah. anthem right yeah. not a deck that like is gonna play like a main deck disenchant right and so you have enchantments then you have mm-hmm. artifacts yep right you know, I think these decks are all just like maybe the eighth archetype is just like engine decks. But instead of like, you know, needing to set up like blasting station and something else and this other thing, right? Mm-hmm. You're just like, it's all in one card. Yeah. So they keep printing these engine cards and like the whole point of your deck is to is to get that engine card on the battlefield. Yeah. to find it and then to to let it like power you to victory mm-hmm. the other thing that has come up on that we've talked about and that has come up on like arena deck list they talk a lot mm-hmm. about like you've got to build your snowball yeah right and that's just another kind of like kind of like shorthand for like an engine right because when the engine gets going it just mows everything down in front of it much like a snowball yeah. rolling downhill, just getting bigger <laughs> and bigger and bigger with yeah. more with more limbs and, you know, magic cards sticking out of it as it goes down the hill. Yeah, I think a snowball is probably a better way to describe it than an engine. Yeah. Because, like you said, engines have lots of pieces and they start, you know, they, they need each other to, to get going and they need to be fed. A snowball just kind of goes, or an avalanche. Like once it, it, it starts, it just yeah. kind of gets bigger and goes. And it feeds itself. Yeah. Right. Like it's getting big just for the simple fact that it is rolling. Right. Right. Where, you know, an engine requires external pieces. So maybe that's like back in the day we had engines where you had to assemble a bunch of pieces. And mm-hmm. now we have snowballs where it's you find a card, maybe yeah. two. Mm-hmm. that work well together and then kind of let you do anything else you want. And right. like, you know, 
So for Nissa as a snowball, it was, you know, anything big. Or it's like <laughs> Nissa into a big thing. Yeah. Right in fires was you need to play basically four and five drops. You need to find me and then play four yeah. and five drops. But along the way, you could play Bone Crusher Giants and you could play Teferis to interact. But yeah. you were just oh, going man, that to. Gross. Yes, it was. I should have. <laughs> I should have made the finals of that PTQ to lose to Simic Flash as opposed to losing <laughs> to Golgari because I didn't draw anything. <laughs> like, fires into lands. Uh, but no, PTQs. Yeah. I remember those days. Yes, yes. But I, I was 0% to beat Frilled Mystic, <laughs> so it was fine. We could have just gone home. We could have gone to Outback an hour earlier. I'd have been like, you got this. I can't can't win. I scoop. You just have all these cards that are these self-contained things Mm -hmm. that have minimal to no deck building constraint. I mean, Loris isn't a snowball in terms of giving you mana. Loris is a snowball in terms of giving you cards. Oh, yeah. It just gives you everything. It gives you all all the cards you could ever want. Right. And the deck building constraint is play the most efficient spells in magic. Oh, cool. Thanks. Right. Much appreciated. Thanks. I think I will. Yeah. I didn't know if I was going to do that, but on second thought, now that you're going to pay me for it handsomely, that. I guess I'll do that. Yeah. Right. I mean, and there, you know, like I think Edgewall Innkeeper is an engine, right? Mm-hmm. Where it requires yeah. a bunch of pieces around it. Right. But it also has the ability to like, snowball as well like if you leave it on the battlefield for like three or four turns you're just like oh i guess i guess i die yeah it's like a um like an artificial avalanche <laughs> artificial avalanche. <laughs> yeah fake snow yeah fake snow yeah but yeah magic now they keep giving us these cards and it's fundamentally changing how you like approach the game right there was a very clear, like, kind of rock, paper, scissors kind of thing about magic. If you think about, you know, the, you know, the seven archetypes, right? It was aggro beat control, control yeah. beat mid range, mm-hmm. ramp beat control, like combo kind of sat somewhere weird where, you know, could a lot, oftentimes would beat mid range and ramp, but yeah. would lose to control and aggro. Right. And uh, tempo decks. You know, they would sometimes they would lose. They could beat control. They might have problems with like aggro. They could mm-hmm. beat ramp because they could get under them. Right. Yeah. But, you know, these engine decks, like, I don't know where like the the rock paper or the snowball decks. I'm sorry for these snowball decks. I don't know where they sit in that like kind of hierarchy of matchups. Well, I think. They just kind of exist and encompass everything because it seems like they have game against everybody. I don't know. Like aggro decks can certainly get under them. And I think tempo decks are probably a reasonable call against them because like at least tempo decks, you can progress your game plan while interacting. Yeah. And I I think that's kind of important. Like if you can progress your game plan while still you know, holding up mana to, you know, interact with whatever mana doubler that they're likely to play. That's probably a pretty good spot to be in. I mean, I think that's why like rogues as a deck Mm -hmm. works. Right. Right. 
is you get to have you're playing at flash speed you're playing at instant speed right so every turn you have the choice to counter a spell kill yeah. a creature or deploy a threat is ideally mm-hmm. what you want to have you want to be able to make that decision as late as possible so you want to make it on their turn right right so like i think that's like that's why that kind of deck works because you mm-hmm. know like the reason fires couldn't beat simic flashes as i told greg on the way to the event is you only have to <laughs> the only card you care about is fires right you make sure like you you have to make sure that teferi doesn't resolve and you have to make sure fires doesn't resolve and then after that like you're fine right like those are the things that matter and if you know what the things are that matter then you can make sure they don't resolve mhm right it, it's also kind of like do you remember when we went to what GP was at the Oko GP? That was Richmond. Was it Richmond? Mm-hmm. Like the whole reason you were on that is it tempo deck was because that's exactly what you could do. You could interact with the turn two or turn three Oko while still progressing your game plan. And that was like the entire reason you played that oh. deck is just because of that. And I mullig- and in the blind I would mulligan to hands that let me deal with a turn two Oko. Right. I would just say like, okay, I have to be able to kill a goose or I have to be able to counter the Oko on two. And I can't mm-hmm. keep a hand that doesn't do that. Okay. What are the, what are the range of hands I can keep? I knew what mattered. And then mm-hmm. if they didn't play the thing that mattered, I could put them on under, under a clock. And that's what a tempo deck wants to do. But yep. where, where these snowball kind of decks fall is right they interact like a mid-range or control deck. So, right, like the mid-range decks can keep the aggro decks in check. So that like mid, that, you know, mid-range interaction and maybe some creatures give the, the snowball decks a way to deal with early aggression, but then they get a ton of mana and go really, really big, Mm -hmm. which then allows them to go over the top of, mid-range and control decks yep. because they're you know doubling their mana they're playing a 10 mana spell and like as a control deck you only have so many answers mm-hmm. and if everything is a must counter a threat yeah you're gonna run out of answers yeah eventually something resolves and then you're you're behind and you're losing yeah and what mm-hmm. has happened with a lot of the snowbally kind of cards you know the mana cost for that spell that can't resolve yeah has gotten lower oh yeah right like you could think of something like you know the ultimate version of like snowball is omniscience mm-hmm. right in omniscience is 10 mana is it 10 mana or is it yeah, 11? seven blue 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 something like that yeah, yeah. right it's 10 mana right if an omniscience resolves and stays on the battlefield, you lose the game. Right. Right? Because they just get to play every card that they draw. Right. For free. For free. Right? Yep. So we went from Omniscience at 10 mana to, I'm sure, between 10 mana Omniscience and Fires of Invention, mm-hmm. there is a litany of, like, unplayable 6 to 8 mana red enchantments. <laughs> that oh, yeah. Tons of them. Forgettable that no one remembers what they did. But they went like omniscience is 10 mana. That's safe. If you get to 10 mana, you deserved it. 
right. to fires, which is like turn four is probably fine, right? <laughs> what was the uh, the red enchantment from Ixel? Like Firebird's invocation Firebird's, or whatever? Yeah, like you cast like a spell a into like another yeah something of like lower converted mana cost. Yeah, something like that. And cast it. Yeah. So Sunbird's invocation was six. Yeah. Right. But you had to tap six mana, play right. it, go to your Untap. next turn and not be dead. And, and still then, have your Sunbird's invocation. And then play something. Right. Yeah. So they went from 10 mana to four. Yep. And they were like, oh, the restraint will be you can't cast spells on your opponent's turn. With Teferi <laughs> in the format, when you weren't allowed to cast spells on your opponent's turn anyway. Right. Right. So, right, like, the snowballing decks kind of get to do everything. Yeah. Right? Like, they can be built to be more controlling. Yep. They can be built to be more mid-rangey or aggressive. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you know... If you have a combo meta, like you can build your snowball deck where you still have that like core, like snowball card, but mm-hmm. then you have, you know, a bunch of hand disruption and counter spells around your snowball. Right. Right. So think about like Saltai in historic, uh, historic right? Yep. It has perfect example. Uro and Nissa, right? Yep. If the format gets super combo heavy, right? they can shift the build of their deck to beat the combo heavy meta. Like they can go, they can play thought seize and they can play thought erasure. Right. They can play, or you can play counter magic. Yeah. Or you can play counter magic. Right. You can do some mix of things where you're like, I don't need as much removal because there's not as much aggro. There's more spell based combo. So yep. I need to attack their hand and fight on the stack. Right. But I'm still always going to have, Uro Nissa big thing, right? Yep. Which Uro is kind of your big thing, right? And then, you know, if it, if it's more of an aggressive aggro mono red meta, right? Then you're like, well, I'm playing Blood Chiefs for Thirst, Fatal Push, and uh, Eliminate or Heartless mm-hmm. Act. Like I'm playing all this interaction, yeah, because I don't care about their hand as much or fighting on the stack. I'm just gonna let them resolve stuff and kill it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where you run into, you made a note in here about one way to keep up is Wraths. And that's another thing is that, you know, in that situation, you end up playing some Wraths too. You play Cry of the Carnarium or Languish or something along those lines to kind of sweep up the board. Yeah. But you were talking about fighting against the Snowball with Wraths, right? Yeah, in terms of, right, like going back to where I don't think you can one-for-one things a lot anymore. Right. Yeah. If they're if you're playing against, you know, you know, the next fires of men, mm-hmm. let's say that search for greatness mm-hmm. is uh, or in the search of fire. greatness is is the new fires. Right. Yeah. You can't realistically play a game where they get to go like one drop enchantment, then two drop, three drop, then mm-hmm. like four drop, four drop. Yeah. Like you can't play that game with like Murderous Rider and Blood Chiefs Thirst. Oh right? no. Because right, you're gonna be behind on mana and you're not gonna be able to keep up, right? If you're just trying to one for one them because right. they spent, you know, eight mana on their turn four 
And you're yeah. like, well, I have to spend all four of my mana to blood cheese thirst that thing. Yeah, one thing. One thing, right? So you need to play, you know, sweepers because that's going to let you catch up on both cards and mana, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Well, on some level, it's like, you know, you play Shatter the Sky, right? You spent mm-hmm. four mana and they, on their turn four, they spent, you know, they tapped four lands, but spent eight mana. Right. Right. These guys still tap the same number of lands, but you got to take care of all the things they played. Mm-hmm. As opposed to if you were like, well, I'm going to have to spend all my mana to take care of one of these things. Yeah. And you're still not keeping up. So, like, I think that before you would go cheap removal spell, I'm going to trade up on mana. So now I can play it, make another play. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the classic jund of. I'm going to lightning bolt that on turn three and play a Tarmogoyf. Yeah. Right. So you got to trade up on mana plus have your mana available to play your threat. Right. Right. It's harder to do that when they're getting a bunch of free mana, right? You're not trading up on mana when their three drop costs them zero. Right. You're like, Oh, I played it for zero. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or they played it for like, they paid a three drop and then they paid zero mana for their two drop. I can kill their two drop for one mana. I'm doing it. It's like, well, no, you're still behind. Right. Right. So my thought was, is that if you're going to try to fight these, right, if you can't just directly interact with the card that's letting them snowball, mm-hmm. depending on like the type of permanent, right, maybe you have to say like, okay, you're going to play two creatures this turn. Well, I need to have a play rats instead of single target removal. Yeah, like I have to have a way that I can, you know, be at mana parity and get all the cards that you played. Because if yeah. you do that like enough times, eventually they run out of cards, right? right? Like this particular snowball doesn't refill their hand. Well, unless the creatures do, right? Right. Where we're like with fires, the five drops you played both drew you cards like either threw bad cards away and got you new cards yeah or like effect or literally drew you a card right so you know you need to have some way to like keep up like try to run them out of cards which is hard when everything draws a card yeah it's tough another kind of weak point though is that these decks tend to have a little bit higher land counts than a normal deck because they're like relying on their lands for ramp even if like in the case of fires even if it's just the number of lands like they still ran a little bit higher land count than like a normal deck would sultai definitely runs a higher land count than a normal mid-range deck does yeah i mean because like if your uro just draws you a card but doesn't ramp you right right you need to have 26 27 28 lands so yeah. that you know that you, when you play your third land, you have your fourth land hopefully rolled up so that your Uro can put it into play. Yeah. Like, I haven't been spending a ton of time on Arena lately just because I haven't really seen the point in doing so. But the Arena that I have been playing, I've been playing, like, Sultai Uro in Historic. And I can tell you that almost every single one of the games that I lost was one where... I didn't have a land to put in play with Uro or Grow Spiral on like turn three, four. Yeah. Yeah. Like Almost the, everyone. Yeah. Those are the cards that you need to, to get you ahead. 
and yeah. like get you your lands and get things moving. Mm-hmm. But like that's kind of a weak point of the deck also is because if you can find a way to, you know, keep up through the use of sweepers or whatever, like they're going to have a lot more misses in their deck just because they're playing a higher land. Yeah. But like the the flip side of that, right, is since all their cards are drawing cards a lot of times, mm-hmm. right, they're they're seeing more cards. Right. Yeah, like, I mean, that's kind of where it comes back to playing like a tempo deck, though, because yeah. you can't just sit back and, you know, answer and hope they draw misses three turns in a row. You've got to be applying pressure at the same time so that yeah. maybe they only get two more turns instead of three or four. Yeah, you you can't. Yeah, you can't ever just sit back. Right. And like, I think that the advent of these snowbally cards that generate a bunch of advantage I think has inspired some of the designs that we've seen in other cards. Okay. Like the reason there's an Ember Cleave is yeah. because could you imagine the like red green aggressive decks in like the world of Uro and Oko <laughs> that was in playtesting if they just didn't have a way to like 12 someone out of nowhere? Yeah. Right? Like you just could never win. No. Right? So bloodbath yeah like you just get like buried under the the heel of like uro gain three omnath gain four get my mana back yeah. on turn three and four and you're like attack you for four it's like <laughs> cool play a land gain four life right but you know you know gain seven across two turns and then attack you for 15 like yeah. that gets your attention I think rogues is the same way, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think that rogues, in theory, is kind of your, like, natural predator to the, I have to resolve my uh, Omnath kind mm-hmm. of deck, right? Like, oh, I've got to resolve Omnath to get my snowball going. And, like, you know, rogues is there to say, well, no, you can't resolve that, or I'll kill it as soon as you resolve it. Yeah. So and I've no. also got, you know, five power, six power. Yeah. Waiting to clock you back. Yeah. I went like, you know, one drop. Uh, what is it? Like Thieves Kills Enforcer into like the Thieving Skydiver. Not Thieving Skydiver. Yep. The, the other guy. Soaring whatever. Soaring Thought Thief. There you go. Yeah. Right. And then I was able to counter your thing with Drown in the Lock and attack. Yeah. Right. So like now there's like a clock there you kept them off of their one important piece Mm -hmm. right like i think that's why that deck is so good right is because it was there to maybe try to keep these other like ridiculous like blue green x decks in check Mm -hmm. right that that we would have had had like all these cards not been banned right i don't know how long we're going to keep having these snowbally decks on one hand. I think they're just here to stay, but on the well, other I mean, hand, to some extent, they're certainly here to stay because yeah. they have changed like the non-rotating formats. Fair. But, but, like look at the top decks in legacy. Yes. <laughs> or modern. <laughs> yeah. You know like, what I mean? Legacy is basically like Uro piles. Yeah. Like it's your, your classic like brainstorm ponder force of will 
Uro, Oko, and then whatever stuff you want to like splash around it. Yeah, some usually ham like sandwiches. yeah, ban- usually it's like white, so you get like swords. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh, I want to play Teamer, so I can play Bolt. Okay, right. But sure. you've got those those kind of cards that are like getting you super far ahead and being like a threat later on. Yeah. But yeah, I think a lot of it is trying to not let stuff resolve or mm-hmm. being like hyper aggressive. Yeah. Which is like why like Uro was particularly egregious. Yeah, because it just undoes Yeah, it undoes, undoes like, a latent bolt every turn. Yeah, it's like, oh I can't ever keep up. Yeah. Right. But you two just, turns and a mono red deck can't ever win. Yeah, it's like, oh you you effectively started the game at 26 checks a deck can only deal 21 damage in this deck okay good oops good on you yeah but i think that like you have to like you know keep keep pressuring them and make it so that like you know if they have to take off a turn for their engine uh or if their engine is in some way or you know the thing that starts their snowball is in some way fragile that you can interact with it Right, even though it leaves behind some value, like if like Nissa, you know, make a three three. If you can then like kill the Nissa, and then have pressure, but right. oftentimes like you can't ever let them like untap, right? Like yeah, even like with fires, right? If you went like fires play the the Sphinx of Foresight, right, mm-hmm. and then they killed your fires. Oftentimes yeah. you were stuck with like two red red red, you know, uncastables in your hand in your hand in your deck with jeskai mana right right so like you can still like put them behind but oftentimes it's like you just can't ever let them get to their next turn with their snowball rolling Mm -hmm. so you know i think that good tempo cards that we've seen are are a nod to that and you know ember cleave or just like strong aggressive strategies yeah you know, like, you know, if you look at Questing Beast, Questing Beast was yeah. clearly a response to Teferi. Right. Right. Like, oh, Teferi is too good. We've got to put this thing in that has haste and can put pressure it's on the going to hit a planeswalker no matter what. Yeah. Can put pressure on the on the player, but also mm-hmm. deals damage to uh, a planeswalker. Right. Yep. So. And oh yeah, we'll tack this damage can't be prevented clause on here because fog. Uh, <laughs> sure, b- because people were sick of getting fogged. It's like the fog deck rotates before this shows up. Shh. Okay. <laughs> um, but like you see those kind of like responses where mm-hmm. like when they realize that the snowballs roll too hard, they try yeah. to like put in cards to like deal with them. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think Ember Cleave is a response. Just really good, like flash threats is a response. But it's yeah, harder. I mean, if you think back to the last couple of years of Magic, like the Simic Flash deck and the Rogues deck are really the only flash decks that I can think of. Like since I came back to the game, like think four or five years ago. Yeah, like you know, Anthony somewhere is talking about uh, like blue white spirits from. Um uh like shadow shadows yeah. right where they had rattle chains yeah. and spell color but that was basically yeah. it like rattle chains gave all your other stuff flash but for the most part like it had like eight flash creatures mm-hmm. it's not like you know simic or 
you know, uh, Demir, where like every spell is an instant. Right. Where you just never play on your turn. Even like mono blue tempo, like only had like a handful of flash creatures. Yeah, that really, I, w- I really wouldn't say that that was a flash. Yeah, that's what I mean though. Like even like the, like the tempo-y decks that you think of that were good mm-hmm. weren't these like I'm never gonna like tip my hand or give you any information or tap my mana go and right. then I can play all these threats on your turn yeah right and I think they have to do that because you know oh if fires resolves then they can't win though I don't mm-hmm. I don't think that in testing those cards showed to be as powerful as they were. Yeah. I kind of like to be a fly on the wall during some of their FFL testing. Yeah. Cause I like, I don't know how you let some of these cards out the door. Yeah. Or like, you know, again, if you miss a little and you think, Oh, this will be a deck in the format. Yeah. And then it is the only deck in the format. Yeah. Right. Then you feel like super dumb. Or like just companions. Yeah, I mean, companions, like, just, like, who thought that, like, all these cards at double mana was a good idea, like, you know. Well, the, I mean, they keep printing them. Exactly. Like, we're going on two years worth of cards that double your mana now. Think about cards that doubled your mana before. Just just run them through your head real quick. There was Mana Flare. It did it for both yeah, players. Yeah, back then. Did it for yeah. both players, so there was And risk. Mana Burn was a thing back then. Yeah, so, <laughs> for people who aren't dinosaurs... If you ha- didn't spend mana in your pool at the yeah. end of turns or phases, instead of just going away, it dealt you damage. And went away. And went away. So yeah. it's like, oh, I have... Like, now when you, go, like, pass on, like, arena, like, it might be like, oh, hey, don't forget you have mana. Are you sure you want to pass? And you're like, yeah. And it just goes away. It would be like, cool, you're passing. Take two, fool. <laughs> and your mana goes away. Right? Yeah. So you had Mana Flare, you had Morari's Wake, which was five mana, mm-hmm. you had to untap with it, right? And then mm-hmm. you had um, Heartbeat of Spring. Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah, you do. It's it's Mana Flare, but green. It's from Kamigawa. Oh, okay. It's two and a green. Oh, it's just Mana Flare, but green? Mana Flare, but green. Oh. Right. And, like, I think that's basically it. I think there were, like, three cards that doubled your mana, and two of them were symmetrical. Mm-hmm. Right? The three mana ones were for everyone. Then there's one that was five mana that was just for you. Yep. Right? And then in the last few years, it's like, Nissa, just for you. Fires, just for you. Yeah. Uh, Wilderness for, Wreck, just for you. Yeah. Forsaken Monument, just for you. Yep. And, right, I would like to think that people have been like, hey, this isn't fun. So maybe they will stop doing it, but I don't know. I mean, like I said, though, a lot of that damage is, like, you can't put that genie back in the You've already blown up all format. Yeah, very true. Like, if you were to go play, like, Legacy, you're going to play against a bunch of Uros. Like, if someone's playing Blue, they're probably playing Uro. And Oko. And Oko. Right? In Modern, like, I'm pretty sure Uro is pretty ubiquitous. Yes. For some reason, it's still uh, legal in 
historic and pioneer. It is. Right? Like, basically, that's the thing to do. I assume mm-hmm. in Pioneer. No one's no one's sent any reports in on Pioneer for a while. <laughs> Pioneer's on a milk carton somewhere. Yeah, I really hope we get back to playing in store at some point this year. Yeah. I'm itching for some events. I know. I was just thinking, like, I have not sorted cards in, like, a year. Yeah. I have all these cards I've bought that are just, like, piled. <laughs> we were talking in the pre-show that, like... I feel a lot of these cards, I think they were, like, earmarked for, like, Commander. Yeah, could be. And they missed just enough. Mm-hmm. Because, like, Commander, you need the big, flashy, like, double your mana, like, profit of Crufix kind of thing. See, the thing about Commander, though, is you don't build your deck the same way. Like if you built your same your deck the same way for EDH as you did for you know normal competitive constructed formats, like your deck wouldn't work because card advantage kind of goes out the window. Like there's no way that you can one for one somebody because you're you have you know three opponents. Yeah, three somebody's. Yeah. Yeah, if you're trying to one for one people, like you're just gonna lose. So, I mean, you're right. Like when you're designing cards for EDH you kind of have to forget about card advantage or find ways to like skirt around it. You know what I mean? And that's what all of these cards kind of do is they skirt the card advantage line. Yeah, So maybe you're right. It's just that like, you know, they want to, you know, either make standard and constructed games more commander, like where you're doing something big, cool and flashy. Yeah. Or they want to just put a cool card in commander Mm-hmm. And they, they miss it. Where they decide to do it. Yeah, and they're like, "Well, I'll put it in standard," because I, I mean, I think that you know, let's say, f- uh, Forsaken Monument. Mm-hmm. I think that's a commander card, right? For mm-hmm. like a colorless commander, right? But it's five mana, and it takes you from five mana to ten. Yeah, a bazillion. Yeah, so like if you can get there. Right, you get paid off when you untap. Mm-hmm. Right, and so maybe that card needed to be six or seven to not get played in, like standard or historic. Yeah. Right, but at five, it's good enough. Yep. So, or like you can maybe see like fires, like oh hey, someone's gonna like be ramping in commander, and they're gonna play a fire, so they're gonna have to get to cast two ten drops. Oh, that's yeah. cool. They'll cast both uh, Ulamogs. <laughs> oh, sweet. It's like, oh, what should that effect cost? I don't know, four? Sure. Four mana. Right. Like, if it was, like, the standard six mana red enchantment. Yeah. Right, it wouldn't have been the best deck in standard. Oh, no. Probably wouldn't right. have seen play if it was six mana. Right? Like, you wouldn't have had the... And we're only talking about the Fires of Invention deck that was, you know, playing Cavaliers. Right? right. It had that whole other life as the Urian Fires deck. Oh, God, I forgot about that deck. Right? Where it was like, oh, I'm going to play this, and then I'm going to play, like, a Luka, and then, I, and then I'm going to down ticket and steal your thing, and then I'm going to play my Urian. Yeah, it had gonna... to be, like, the worst name for a deck, right? Jessica, Luka, Urian Fires? Yeah. Were they just named 12 of the 80 cards in the deck? Yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes, it was the worst name. Well, Jeskai Fires got taken by the Cavalier version. Yeah. So you couldn't call it Jeskai Fires. Like, right. I and guess there was I've a heard... different uh, Luca deck, so you couldn't call it Luca. Yeah. And there might have been a different, like, like maybe Jeskai Urian wasn't taken, but it may have been. Yeah, I right. don't know. Yeah. It was, it was a terrible naming convention. Yeah. Uh, would not recommend. But those kind of cards that are, like, under-costed, that are, like, two mana, uh, mana or two too cheap, mm-hmm. that, like, maybe they're like, this is a commander card. And then, oh, it's not. So, like, if they keep designing cards for commander, yeah, right, to push cards into commander, they have to make cards really, really good. Right. Right, because it's kind of like if you're trying to push cards into legacy, right? Yeah, they got to be really good. Right, and they keep making cards that just make legacy decks. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that was, I guess that was too good. Meh. Better luck next set. Yeah, yeah, that is the break. Yeah. But I think going forward, like, we have to think about, like, you know, the snowball, like, as an additional archetype. And I think every set, like like you pointed out, right, you have to look at the cards and go, okay, which card here is the snowball? Or as we said with uh, Jorn, this is the mm-hmm. Uro of the set. Right. right. Is this the Uro? Is this the thing that just is a snowball in and of itself? And I think the answer is probably yes. I, I think so as well. I think the only questions about Jorn are, like, what colors is it? Yeah. And we'll find out. Yeah. Also, like, just, you know, was it Tundra Fumeral? Tundra Fissure? Mm-hmm. The one red, 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 well, one red, red uh, removal spell? Okay. Oh, there. Tundra Fumeral. One red, red. Snow yeah. Sorcery. Deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker. Adds yeah. snow for each snow mana spent to cast a spell until the end of your turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. Yeah. So you play your Jorn. Mm-hmm. Then your turn four is tap all my snow lands, kill your thing, get three mana for oh, casting yeah. Tundra Fumeral, attack with mm-hmm. my Jorn. Now yeah, that's gross. Second main phase, I have seven or eight mana. Seven. Yeah. Seven. Right. Right. Because you have your four lands. You played three snow mana to cast your Tundra Fumeral. That mana carried through. So you're playing a three colorless and then four colored mana spell on turn four. Voren clicks? Yeah. Voren clicks. Yep. Or, like I was like, like if you had one red red and then it's snow mana, you probably couldn't mm-hmm. play like Kogla. Right. But like something along those lines, like you're just like, what is a dumb seven drop I can play? Right. Yeah. If you can figure out a way to get one more mana out of the deal, mm-hmm. you get to play Nugan. Yeah. Right. Like, I could see the the snow mana dork. Into Jorn, into Tundra Fumeral. And people are like, well, Tundra Fumeral is not that good. I'm like, it's free. You have to build your deck with Snowlands, but it's free. 
Yeah. Like, how many free removal spells do we have that have not been played? Right? None. This, this is, like, in the realm of, like, Dismember. Mm-hmm. Right? Dismember was one Phyrexian Black, Phyrexian Black, to get something Nick 5, Nick 5. Yeah. Almost free. Almost free. Basically, the spell was one and pay four life, give something Nick 5, Nick 5. Right? Yeah. This is this can be no mana deal four damage. Hey, I've cast a whole bunch of slaughter packs. Yeah, where you kill something and then pay three mana the next turn. Mm-hmm. Right? Like this just pays you back. Like this isn't a snowball, but it sets up like turns you shouldn't be able to have. Right. Right? Like Well, you're combining it with a snowball. You're combining it with some but even if you don't, right? Yeah. Let's say you pay one red, 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 and you play uh this and you get three colorless mana and then in your second main phase you play something that has a casting cost of like i don't know three and a green Mm -hmm. right like you got to play seven mana worth of stuff on your turn four yeah that's pretty good or you got to play six mana worth of stuff on your turn three that's a little bit harder because right it's gonna be something colorless yeah but you know i think jorn plus that is just like gross mm-hmm. i know an aside but <laughs> no i hadn't even thought about that card so yeah i was just like oh you just you just get it all yep right like i wonder how much of standard is going to be like Ugenjorn, where you're just like oh well if you play a creature i kill it and then <laughs> i play an ugin and you die Good talk. It's like, oh, you played a Bone Crusher Giant? Oh, silly boy. Uh, t- time to die. We'll call it Jorn Who Shakes the World. Jorn Who Shakes the World. Jorn Who Summons Ugins. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I know this is where magic seems to be heading. Mm-hmm. But maybe I just, you know, I'm an old guy who doesn't like change. Like oh I agree. Like I I long for the the days of being more research source management mm-hmm. or resource yeah resource management as opposed to research deployment. Yeah. Right where I always have between 5 and 7 cards in my hand. How can I maximize getting these cards onto the battlefield and using them? Yep. To the like I'm going to have one zero to 3 cards in my hand. Like how do I like maximize the value i get out of each of these yep because i think that is gone right like since the value becomes stapled to all of your cards Mm -hmm. right like when you're den death miss raptor den protector right you're like okay i'm gonna play this death miss raptor i've got to trade it with something Mm -hmm. right or like i'm gonna use it to hold back their team right i'm gonna get generate value out of like this card in its text box Yep. Right. It's not like it just said like draw a card, get your value. Comes into play, fights a creature. Right. It's like, oh, no, it actually has to do other I have to do other things to get the value out of this. Set up a board state where your opponent wants to attack into it or a board state where they have to block. Yeah. We're like, you yep. know, attack, okay, you have to block because you can't take this damage because your life pressure life total's under under threat. Right. So well, with that establishing the snowball archetype it seems the snowball fitting, archetype it seems fitting that 
with the snow set and Jorn the snowball. Uh, Jorn God <laughs> of Snowballs. Uh, Jorn God of Snowballs. We have the snowball archetype. Yeah, so, I like it. With that, I think we have a podcast. We do. We have a show. Yeah. So- uh, stay tuned for our set review episode next week. If you guys have any cards that you in particular want to hear about, let us know. We'll include them. Yes. We're going to find new and exciting ways to play Jorn. Yes. That'll, that'll be that'll be our mission. Okay. All Jorn <laughs> all the time. So if you want to tweet those at us, you can get at us at Casual Tripod. Yep. You can also hit us up on Facebook, Casual Tryhard MTG. You can drop us an email, show at casualtryhardmtg.com. Uh, don't forget, if you're looking to pre-order any singles or just kind of fill out your collection, uh, please use our TCG Player affiliate link, tcg.casualtryhardmtg.com. Anything you order after following that link will get a small percentage of to help keep the show rolling. If you want to support us a little bit more directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash casualtryhardmtg. And hop into our Discord um we're pretty active on there usually we answer questions pretty quickly uh that's probably the best way to um submit cards for next week's episode if you want to hear about them so throw them up in discord if you're not a member there's a link in the description there's a link on facebook there's a link on twitter and if for some reason you can't get any of those links to work or can't find them shoot us a message and we'll send you one i think that's all we got for this week that's all we got so that we will catch you on the internets we'll catch you on the internets